When I got the email in May asking if I would consider being a workshop speaker, I had two questions. One, uh, are they sure they know who I am? <laughs> Two, do they know I'm not Beth Moore? <laughs> like I said, I'm Bethany Moore. Not Beth Moore, sorry to disappoint. <laughs> if you need to go, <laughs> just feel free. I, I wouldn't take offense. Not at all. They asked me to speak to you on this third topic of women in the workplace, and they asked me to speak because that is where I'm at in life right now. Um, I was blessed to have grown up in a Christian household with a strong emphasis on work and responsibility at work. And thanks to this camp, I've held a job since the age of 12. If you calculate, uh, that was before <laughs> the child labor laws. And the <laughs> if you calculated the math uh, that Sandy did, I am 31 years old. So therefore, I have spent a good portion of my life working. Um, I come from the gospel-centered church of Horton Baptist Church. Over there's my team. Yes, I love them very much. They are my family. And I currently work as a registered nurse at Waverly Health Center in surgery. I am a surgical nurse. More officially, I'm called a scrub nurse. And yes, I love it. <laughs> I don't think I could do anything else. Um, for those of you who have curious minds, my favorite procedure is what's called a TKA, or total knee arthros uh, arthroplasty, also known as a total knee. Most people think that's gross. I love it. And I'm sorry you have bad knees, but I like to fix them. Uh, and we don't call it a scalpel, okay? If a surgeon asked me for a scalpel, I would look at him weird. It's called a blade or a knife. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. So yes, that, that is what I currently do for work. I am a lover of coffee. On the scale of Folgers to roasting your own beans, I'm about an eight, okay? I don't roast my own beans yet, but I do purchase them from local, local businesses. And I love kind of making my own little coffee shop. And I drink it the way God intended it to be drunk, black. <laughs> no creamer, hmm, no creamer. In my experience, coffee has companioned hours of reading and conversation with dear friends, so it is, it is a blessing in my life amongst a necessity. I am extremely humbled to be speaking to you today on this topic, so let me dispel any ideas of proficiency. I am not proficient in my testimony at work. It is an area that God has greatly convicted me in in the last year. You see... I am also not a proficient speaker, simply because I've had no experience doing it. So I am grateful to know that the eloquence, the wisdom, all of that comes from the power of the gospel, not from me. Right? Well-arranged words, the rhetoric I use, um, even sensational speaking, some people are just better than others. It's not the proof or the reason that we change or study God's word, the reason that we the reason that we change or are called to change is found in the gospel, right? If that sounds familiar to you, uh, the Thinklings podcast talked about this just a couple weeks ago. So shout out to the Thinklings podcast. If you haven't listened to them, listen to them. Um, I find this a beautiful part of scripture that we can come and we can share from our weakness, okay? If I could only share from my strength, I would never share, so we share from our weakness. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, for the word of the cross, the gospel, right? 
The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but, for, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel is not something we accept and then move on through life unchanged. It's the power of God for life and godliness. That's 2 Peter 1.3, if it sounds familiar. This has to include our life at work. Paul David Tripp, um, if any of you are familiar with him, author of many books, he wrote the book New Morning Mercies, which is a devotional, uh, single-page devotional for the year. I highly recommend it. He says in that book, the gospel gives you everything and changes everything in your life. And I really, really want to drive that home. The gospel gives you everything and changes everything in your life, and that's my prayer for us today. So let's open in a word of prayer, and then we will start. Lord, you humbled yourself, you emptied yourself, and you became obedient even to death on the cross. May this truth mortify any complacency in our lives. Lord, I recognize that my righteousness is contaminated, and you alone have the power to change my heart. So today, Lord, may you be glorified in our ears, quick to listen, our hearts ready to receive your word, and our spiritual eyes that see truth from your word. Own our desires from the very onset. Employ us as thy instrument in blessing others. Convict us of our propensity to rely on self. And may our faith rest solely in the gospel. Were it not for your steadfast love and grace, Lord, we would not be here today. May we love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Amen. All right. By way of introduction, I have a question. And my question is quite simple, and that is, does the gospel affect your work or how you work? Does the gospel affect your work? If you are a professing believer, you may look at me a little indignant and say, well, yes, the gospel affects everything. But what I find is that all too often we use our standard and conduct as a measure of our witness to our coworkers. What do I mean by that? I mean, do they know that I go to church? Do they know that I don't swear? Do they know that I always show up to work on time? Do they know that I'm happily married? Do they know that I have kids who are making good decisions? We use these standards of conduct in our life as our, as our uh, measuring stick for our testimony at work. So you have that on one side. On the other side, you have the tendency to compartmentalize. We compartmentalize our work from our pursuit of Christ. So therefore, the person who shows up on Sunday is not the same person that is known at work. When we do this, we devalue the gospel by showing that it only involves external change when it's convenient for me. We, we miss the reality that the gospel leads us to view and handle all labor differently. So this leads to um, my big idea or my uh, main statement. For those of you who take notes, I, I didn't put any notes in your book. This is just write down whatever's helpful. So my big idea that I'm working from today is that God's sanctifying work in a Christian's life through the gospel directly affects our expectations and our priorities in the workplace. Let me say that again. God's sanctifying work in a Christian's life through the gospel directly affects our expectations and our priorities in the workplace. As we're talking about the workplace today, I'll just give you a really brief synopsis of 
my experience, although it's not, uh, not that extensive. I began my medical career working as a CNA at Sunnycrest in Dyser, Iowa. At the age of 16, I was proud that I could work with no breaks, and I was proud that the uh, residents loved me. Continue on from there, I went to Faith Baptist Bible College for two years, and while I was there, I worked at Mill Pond for a couple of uh, semesters. Again, I treated work and homework as work. That's why I was at school, right? I didn't have much time for people who weren't as uh, prioritized in the study. <laughs> uh, and that, was a, that sounded very uneducated at that moment. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, that being said, my favorite time to study was Friday night when everybody was gone. <laughs> that, that's where I was at. Fast forward from there, a couple years later, I attended Allen School of Nursing, where I completed my Bachelor's of Science in four semesters. Um, it was an accelerated program. And I graduated uh, summa cum laude. You're surprised, aren't you? <laughs> I was frustrated. I missed Amanda cum laude by just a hair. What, what am I drawing attention to? I'm drawing attention to the fact that my work, my work was motivated by pride, okay? I wasn't motivated out of love for people around me. I was motivated out of them realizing I was better than them, whether that be in my test taking, whether that be in the residents or the patients loving me, whether that be in my understanding uh, and application of my job. Bethany was about to, well, fast forward a few more years, Bethany was about to uh, undergo the scalpel, <laughs> excuse me, the blade, of our loving Savior's patient and exact heart surgery. Um, I believe that Sandy referenced this earlier and it couldn't tie in better. My heart needed to change. Where my priorities were at, I was, I was a solid worker and, and I took pride in being accountable and being reliable. But there was more. 2017 rolled around, and the Lord allowed me to walk through a few trials in my life that taught me my selfishness and my self-dependence. Um, as I walked through those trials come December of 2017, I began to realize a fact, and that is that you can't force your desires to change. Who has to change our desires? The Lord does, Yes. And this was, a, this was a profound understanding to me, and I began to pray as my New Year's resolution that the Lord would give me more of himself, that he would help me to know the unknowable God. And that became my prayer as I walked into uh, 2018. See, I must be radically motivated by the gospel while relying on the power of Christ, and that is manifested in a life of obedience. Galatians 2.20 through 3.3 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And that part just grabbed me. Bethany, you're saved by grace, but you're not living by grace. You are living according to standards and rules you've made up. And that is why the Lord began to change my heart. That is when the Lord began to change my heart. 
See, I was missing the fact that we must be sanctified by grace. And if you're anything like me, that's moment by moment, okay? It's not just a point in time. It is the process every day of allowing the Lord to sanctify us. C.J. Mahaney, another Christian author, he wrote the book, Humility, True Greatness. Uh, If you want to be convicted on every page, read that book. It's convicting. He says, our deliberate pursuit of obedience and growth in godliness isn't something we enter into with self-confidence, but an expression of humble dependence upon God who is actively working. Excuse me. So that leads us to our passage today. If you turn with me to Philippians 1, Philippians 1, I don't want to just stand up here and give you my words, so I want to give you the word of God. Philippians 1, we're going to start in verse 19, verse 19. I'll be reading today from the uh, ESV, I'll be reading Philippians 1.19 to the end of the chapter. Yes, I will rejoice. As the end of verse 18, it goes into verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for your deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what I should choose, I cannot tell. Verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, and that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side in the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and I hear that I still have. So we know uh, Paul's in prison here, right? He's writing and he's encouraging them to continue in the gospel. And this is where we see kind of my, my first point about the gospel changing your expectation, all right? The gospel changes your expectation. Verse 21 says a phrase that most of us are familiar with, I believe, and that is, for to me to live is Christ. Have you ever stopped to consider what would today look like if you were only ever consumed with the things of Christ? Or tomorrow, or the day after? Do you imagine someone whose head's in the clouds, they're always talking about heaven, or do you imagine more patience, more intentional conversation, less time-wasting activities, responses of grace to others that Christ may be glorified. Because it is for God's glory that we respond right when we are wronged. I find this desperately convicting to consider that my life should be summed up in Christ. For me to live is Christ. 
What does that mean? That means that when Bethany Moore shows up at work, you can't divide me from Christ. That my coworkers know that we're a package deal. All right? Bethany Moore didn't show up to work today. Bethany Moore and Christ showed up to work today. I must be tied. I must be wrapped up in the person of Christ. He must be preeminent. This changes my expectation. This changes where I put my hope or my priority in the day. So what, what first expectation do we see here? The first expectation we see is what I've been talking about, to live as Christ. That's my expectation. When I wake up in the morning, to live is Christ. There's a phrase that's pretty popular right now, and I'm, I hear it a lot at work, and it goes something like this. <clears throat> You do you. I think if any of you work, you might have used it yourself. I found myself using it on occasion. And usually what it meant is, I don't really agree with you, but I'm not going to argue with you. So you do you. You do you. Or it's used to make relationship decisions, right? Girl, you do you, and if he doesn't like it, too bad. I've heard that one a lot. Um, I've also heard it used to excuse our selfish behavior. You do you. You take care of you. Believer, at, that, at the very core, this is a focus on how you feel and how what your circumstances are, are, what you desire your circumstances to be. The Bible says that our hearts are desperately wicked. So as a believer, I can't do me. I have to do Christ. For me to live is Christ, Right? We are called to put on the armor of God, to, to have the mind of Christ, and to empty ourselves so that Christ might reside in our every actions. Words, thoughts, our desires. For me to live as Christ means that my personality, my natural tendencies, cannot be what dictates my desires or my actions. Uh, my loving pastor brother, as I like to call him, Stephen, uh, was my pastor for several years and has been my brother my entire life. Uh, I didn't have a say in that. He would say to me, Bethany, your personality is no excuse to sin. I didn't like that. See, that, that, cut, that statement cuts to the heart of the fact that my tendencies are no excuse for me to neglect doing good or to respond rightly. So our first expectation we see in verse 21, to live is Christ. Our second expectation, to live is to serve. Just keeps getting better. <laughs> to live is Christ and to live is to serve. If death is gained, then the only reason to live is to share the gospel that souls might be saved and other believers encouraged to do the same. Verse 24, we see Paul yielding his personal desires to be in heaven with Christ, which he says is far better, he's yielding those desires that he might serve the saints while in prison. Okay, jump back to verse 22. Paul says to live in the flesh, he's talking about the physical flesh, what we're in right now, is fruitful labor. This is the idea of bringing souls to Christ. Again, his expectation was that his life would be wrapped up in the cause of Christ. 
So as the Lord exposed my pride, as he exposed my misconception of time, I began to see the day as not just work and me time, but as opportunities well at work and opportunities well off duty, <laughs> well off of the clock. It, it was not a time for me to veg or detox or serve myself. So first expectation is to live is Christ. Second, to live is to serve. And third, this one just tops it all. To live is to expect trials. Verse 28 says, not to live in fear because that is a sign of our salvation from God. The fact that we don't fear the unknown, we don't fear the things that are happening in the world around us, or we don't even fear when the trials hit our personal home, our personal life, is evidence of our God and his salvation. Verse 29 continues and says, it has been granted, essentially gifted to you for Christ's sake, that you suffer trials. Learn to expect trials I know that that's hard, and I, I don't want to stand up here and pretend that I understand what you're going through. Everybody has their own set of trials, but God is using those to sanctify us and to conform us to his image. So learn to expect them and know that they're hard, right? Paul David Tripp again, he says, let me read this here real quick. Life in this fallen world is hard. Recognize that you were not meant to go at it alone. The glory of God must be your motivation. The church must be your community, and you must humbly pray often, or you will grow discouraged and begin to doubt the goodness of God. Right? We must go at it together and encourage one another. The hardships of life, the painful trials, all point to a loving Savior who desires me to be conformed into the image of his Son. Our only response has to be trust even when we cannot see the outcome, knowing that our Savior ordained it before the foundations of the earth. I may not understand it, but a good and perfect God somehow knew. Because he is perfect, and he is too loving to be unkind. By grace we suffer. By suffering we bring glory to God. Through the process of sanctification, right? Increasing in our trust, our faith. And by bringing glory to God, we partake of his grace. This idea of trials in Philippians 1 is actually the same, comes from the same root word as grace. Therefore, your trials are God's grace. And it's hard, but it's, it's so beneficial in our, in our sanctification, Ponder with me for a moment how differently we would walk through the workday if always at the forefront of our minds were these expectations. To live is Christ, to live is to serve, and to live is to expect trials. I would venture to say that our priorities would change. So we, we see first how our expectations are changed by the gospel, and now we're going to see how our priorities are changed, Okay by the gospel. Continue with me in Philippians 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy 
by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The gospel changes our priorities. This passage of scripture is packed with theology. Okay, we, We're just barely scratching the surface here. But notice with me, Philippians 2, verse 3 states very clearly that we are not to be consumed with ourselves, but rather we are to be others-focused. Verse 4 calls us to have the mind of Christ. And if we are to have the mind of Christ, then verse 7 calls us to empty ourselves and be obedient that God might be glorified through the praise of every tongue, which you find in verse 11. This is a prime example of what I what's called a gospel paradox or what seems to be a perceived contradiction. Two truths that stand in opposition, perceived opposition to one another. In Christ, emptiness leads to fullness. Okay, we know salvation, death leads to life. But now I'm saying emptiness leads to fullness. When we allow the glory of God to take precedence in our natural desires, we are filled with joy and full of grace. We are called to prioritize humility and serve others. So I only touched on it briefly in in chapter one about our expectation being to serve, and now we see the priority is to serve. We see the example of Christ's humility that leads to serving. This Humility weaves its way into every Christian uh, attribute that we are to manifest. And by very definition, it's hard to define because it's wrapped up in the person of Christ. And every time you think you've scratched the surface of knowing who Christ is, he just grows more and more dear to you. And in your, in your mind, you can't comprehend. So you say, that's why I said earlier, our desire is to know the unknowable God. But let's stick here with the, the focus in the text, and that is that humility is the opposite of selfish ambition. Verse three, literally, it's the opposite of personal glory or me prioritizing my glory. It is the mind of Christ serving others. Specifically, we looked here at Christ humbling himself to the point of death on the cross, an ultimate service to us, but it was still for his glory not ours. I was sitting under the teaching on the topic of the will of God uh, several years back, and the phrase was stated, the will of God always involves people. And I wrote that down, it stuck out to me, and I kept mulling it over in my mind. I'm like, the will of God always involves people. Well, what about what color car I buy? You know, my dad always told me to pray about it. <laughs> what school I go to? How, how are people involved in these decisions? 
And that's when I realized, yes, the will of God always involves people because to share the gospel involves people. To live out the one another's involves people. If I'm to forbear with you, that means I actually have to be around you. (laughs) Although I like forbearing from afar sometimes. Yes, and and it just, it hit me. There are two things that are eternal, right? God, and therefore his word, and people's souls. So my priority switched from just getting through the day and getting my list done to how do I serve people today? Because that's what matters. God and his word and the souls of people. Those two things last. Those, those are what should encompass an eternal focus. Not me daydreaming about heaven, which is good, because we should desire to be with Christ. But this involves me caring about my knowledge of who God is, spending time with the Lord, and loving people, because their souls are eternal. This changed my priorities. I no longer viewed work as my ultimate defining purpose in life. I choose to serve people with my time, and that involves at work and outside of work. I choose to prioritize time with my church family. I remember when it hit me that my earthly job is temporary, and some of them are more temporary than others. You know, we work part-time jobs sometimes. I remember the crazy looks at work when I um, decreased from full-time, which is five days a week, to what's called a .8 FTE, or four days a week. And they asked me, why? You're single. You live alone. How do you have a life? (laughs) I was like, well, I want to spend more time with my church. I want to help more in ministry. And they just couldn't believe it. Like, don't you have a ton of time? Well, yeah, and I wanted more time. That is what it means to choose Christ as our life and not a career. I do not say that nursing is my career. It is my job right now. It is not my career. Stop and consider with me how much time this past week you dedicated to loving the people around you. Have you cultivated relationships that go deeper than talking about your kids, sports, what you ate for dinner, do you listen? Is it obvious to your coworkers that you love the Lord and enjoy prioritizing time with the body of Christ? Rosario Butterfield, she wrote the book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I believe it's actually down at the bookstore. Um, she says it this way. Do you protect yourself from inconvenience or are you interruptible? That was... That hit hit the center of my heart because for the most part, I dictate my time during my day. So she said, do you protect yourself from inconvenience or are you interruptible? What I prioritize must be controlled and directed by a deepening understanding of God and his redeeming grace, the gospel. I have one question for you and that is, are you willing to work less that you might serve more? And I recognize all work situations are different But that's where I had to come before the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I am willing to work less that I may serve more. Are you willing 
to serve. This leads, so we're talking right now about our priorities, right? So first priority is a humility that leads to serving others. Our second priority is sanctification, or the process of becoming like Christ, growing more into the image of Christ. Sanctification that leads to the salvation of others. Verse 12 and 13, if you look at Philippians 2, continues on. And it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation, this is the salvation of sanctification, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work in his good pleasure. It goes on to talk about being light. Allow your sanctification, your growth, to be a light and a testimony to those around you. Again, this is motivated and accomplished for God's glory, not our own. Our life is not our own. It is, it's another one of those gospel paradoxes. If you, Romans 6.22 is a verse that stands out in my mind. It says, but you have been set free from sin that you may be a slave to God. <laughs> You've been set free from sin to be a slave to God. And this leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The process of becoming more like Christ should be such a testimony to those around us that it is leading to the salvation of others and leading to our sanctification, right? This means that our life is ministry and our ministry is life. We are all in full-time ministry as believers. And that changes our priorities. It should take captive, the, the gospel should take captive more than just Sunday, it should take captive our entire week. By grace alone, Bethany Moore is being conformed into the image of Christ for his glory. I want to take a moment and just share with you um, how this is being worked out in my life over the last few years. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to Ginger. She's not here, uh, but Ginger is one of my coworkers. She is a wonderful OR nurse. And I guarantee that if you had her as your OR nurse, you would not forget her. She's one of those nurses. <laughs> I'm pleasantly forgettable. Most people don't remember me. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Ginger's not. She's not. Um, she is fully, I don't know what to say. That's Ginger. Um, in, at work, everybody knows what that means. You don't. Uh, she was actually part of my initial interview process seven and a half years ago when I started the job. And she was uh, one of the nurses who trained me. She instilled in me a love for orthopedics. Um, and she would say to me, Bethany, you can't fix stupid. Like, thanks, Ginger. <laughs> so, and she would tell me if I did something stupid. She would tell me right out. Um, but the minute she was with a patient, you had, she had, you had all of her attention. She would put you at ease with her humor and with her bluntness. We, we had a gentleman, uh, yo, I don't remember how many years ago, fell and broke a bone and she asked how it happened and he proceeded to state a very irresponsible activity that he was participating in. 
And she just looked at him and said, well, that was dumb. <laughs> and he was like, yep, yep, it was. And just put him at ease because she was just honest. And she would bring you warm blankets, you know, because you were cold. If you've had surgery, you know. This is Ginger. She is a coworker of mine. I love working with her dearly. Um, it, and she's married, oh, I'll expand on this here. She's married to Scott Shield, and they adopted two children, Kane and Nancy, when they were a sibling set when they were younger. Kane and, I'm sorry, not Kane and Nancy. <laughs> That's a couple from our church. Kane and Diana. <laughs> there we go. Lord's keeping me humble. May 10th, okay, so December 2017, right? I began praying that the Lord would conform my desires, that he would give me more of Christ. May 10 of 2008, uh, 2018, I was spending the weekend in Ankeny when I received a message that Cain, who was uh, 14 at the time, I believe, 14 or 15, um, had been shot and killed. If Facebook soon followed up uh, and confirmed the story, and my heart broke. Not long after that, I actually just spent the evening texting with one of the teens in our, in our church who was in the class with Cain, who was just shaken. She couldn't understand why or how. This was, this was such an overwhelming loss. I couldn't imagine how... I was to respond as a Christian coworker. I didn't have a relationship with Ginger outside of work, but I knew that God called us to a different level of response, not, not a convenient, stay out of the way, protect myself from the pain of the situation, offer my condolences and walk away. I knew that it had to be more than that. And in case you're wondering, it needs to be that way in the church body as well, okay? This was a time where God was training me in my life, and I see it now all the time as, as opportunities arise in the church. How would I live the gospel in a time when sharing it would be so offensive to them? Yes, they received the people telling them that God just wanted Cain in heaven with them, him, or all things are going to work together for good. To, Cain, or to Ginger and Scott, that was the last thing they wanted to hear. <laughs> because what about us? Why did he have to be taken from us? We adopted him only for him to be taken. So that happened on a Friday, May 10. Monday morning came around. I went to work, and, and it was just on my mind, all day at work. Obviously, she was not there. But I decided that I needed to drive out there afterwards and offer my condolences as the initial step. Um, in, in comforting them. I almost let the fact that I was in casual shorts, flip-flops, and a t-shirt stop me. Although that's usually what I'm in. <laughs> um, we change into scrubs at work, and I was like, oh, man, I didn't wear anything to go visit. I'm not going to go today. And God's like, no, you just need to do this. So I turned on the road, and I still remember I was just, I was actually gripping the wheel at 2 and 10 like you're supposed to. I don't usually. <laughs> and I just, I was shaking. I was shaking. This was so uncomfortable. How in the world could I be of any comfort to this family who had just suffered a tragic loss? 
the Lord kept me going. (laughs) I pulled into the driveway, and as I pulled in, Ginger was driving the truck out, and it was full of people. And selfishly, for a minute, I felt relieved. Great, I'll come back a different day. (laughs) But no, God still had other plans. I rolled down the window, Ginger rolled down hers, and she looked out at me, and she stared at me. It got uncomfortably long. (laughs) And finally she said, get in. And I was like, okay. Knowing better than to, first of all, question Ginger. (laughs) You don't ever question Ginger. I knew better than to question a grieving mother. So I parked the car, and in my uh, flip-flops, I hopped into the bed of the truck with Scott and another gentleman I hadn't met. And we started driving down the road, and, and this whole time I'm trying desperately to anticipate the next, the next moments. What would I do? What would I say? And where in the world were we going? <laughs> we're just driving down the, you know, good old Iowa country roads there. We're just clipping along. That, that question was soon answered when we pulled into a wooded area, and, and everybody grabbed hockey sticks and bags and jumped out. And... <laughs> Most of you don't know what that means. That means we're morel mushroom hunting. Okay, it was May. And for the avid morel hunter, you use the hockey stick to push the brush out of the way so you can see. I did not know that. Uh, (laughs) It was at this point that Scott realized I was totally not dressed to be mushroom hunting at all. Um, And he was baffled that anybody could be unprepared to do that during mushroom season. (laughs) I now always keep shoes in my car, I will have you know. Always keep shoes in my car. Diana began to videotape my endeavors as I tiptoed through trying to avoid any itch weed. Um, And Ginger mocked me the whole way. (laughs) She just laughed at me. I had never met Scott before this moment, actually, and I was thinking, what a great first impression I'm making. And that's when it hit me. What would I say? I would say nothing. Mm-hmm. How could I possibly offer comfort through being the target of laughter? They were laughing for the first time in days at my expense. <laughs> and I was okay with that. Then and there I was overwhelmed with God's power and knowledge and his timing. Then and there I committed, I said, God, as often as you ask me to show up, I will show up. Two and a half years later, I am still showing up. I did the math wrong there. Three and a half years later, I am still showing up. This is not a past life experience I'm sharing. It is still very much a part of my life. This originated by knowing Ginger from work, but spending time and allowing myself to grow in front of her. They still have not accepted Christ as their savior. I have spent countless hours. This is why I have a box of Kleenex up here. You guys can't see. I have spent countless hours praying and begging God to save them. Every time I drive to the house, I I drive past the cemetery where Cain is buried. And I see, see his tombstone. And I'm reminded of the urgency and the need to share Christ with them. We don't know the length of our days. This has changed my desire to seek another job and to start with a fresh, clean slate and has changed me to desire to grow in Christ in front of my coworkers so that they might see that my hope is living hope, 
that my God is a living God and that I'm not stuck the same person I was years ago. He's growing me. He's changing me. I preach this to myself every day. I am not preaching to you out of any sort of accomplishment, but rather a place of desperate need. God has taught me many things along the way as I desire to serve the S.H.I.E.L.D. family. One of those things is that to serve them, you must be attentive to the little things. The next day when I showed up, because, oh, Monday when we got back from mushroom hunting, I I was like, well, do I go? Do I stay? And Ginger looked at me and she said, we have food. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll stay for food. Um, and I just stayed. I had no idea if it was helpful or not, I, but I just stayed. So the next day I came after work and Diana had gone out and bought a new pair of cowboy boots because Kane loved boots and she wanted to wear cowboy boots to the funeral in honor of him. But she didn't know anything about taking care of her boots. So I ran home and I brought my mink oil and everything back and we sat there. I sat with one boot, she sat with the other and I just showed her what to do. She said nothing, I said nothing. She walked out later and showed Ginger and she goes, Mom, look, they look so much better now. <laughs> it was a little thing, but it's what I could do. Day after day I begged God to show me how to love them and, I, and to help me become comfortable with being uncomfortable. It was actually a phrase I learned in nursing school, right before they'd shove you into a patient room. <laughs> you need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. There you go. I used to think I'd be an OB nurse. No. It's not cute babies, it's hormonal women. <laughs> no. I got, kicked out of, I got kicked out of one gal's room twice. And I went to my instructor and I said, she won't let me do anything. She, she said, you march right back in there and you start that assessment on that baby. And I was like, huh. <laughs> Walk back in there for the third time. You guys are all like, oh, we hate those students. <laughs> I was one of them. <laughs> I got kicked out of three rooms. I know, being that's when I decided it was not for me. I prefer my patients to sleep. <laughs> They're much more compliant. Yes. Oh. Day after day, I begged God to show me what to do, and I was learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because there's nothing comfortable about walking through a heartache like this with someone. I'm relatively untouched by this level of heartache. I didn't know where to begin. It was uncomfortable to sit there with parents who were sleep deprived, who were angry, who asked why questions all the time and you knew you couldn't give a single answer, nor did they want me to. It would have been easier if I could have just gone in, done the dishes, cleaned the house. They own a greenhouse, by the way. I could have just worked out there. But God gave me the grace to see that the people were what mattered and I needed to be present. To this day, Ginger will tell me that she remembers very little of the first six months after Cain was killed. She doesn't remember that they were camping all summer long. 
She doesn't remember that I camped with them half the summer. She doesn't remember any of that. But she'll tell me, I remember that you were just always there. I didn't do much, but I was just there. I would sit side by side with them while they asked question after question, and I would pray as they tried to just take the next breath. I would pray that one day God would yield the fruit of their salvation somehow through my testimony in these times. When you are drowning in a situation you know nothing about, humble yourself and ask for help. This is part of that process of sanctification. I had to allow the Lord to teach me things I didn't know. It takes practice, it takes intentional thought. I had no idea how to serve them. I had no idea how to love them in this time. So I drew upon experiences from other people. I read books like What Grieving People Wish You Knew by Nancy Guthrie. Excellent book, by the way. I would keep lists as I would have ideas of things I could do to encourage them. I would keep lists, so I, I had them to reference and I would keep special days written down, like Cain's birthday, the day of his death, the day he would have graduated from high school, which was this year. I write them down in my calendar so that I know to show up intentionally that day. For the past three years, I've joined the Shield family for Cain's birthday supper, which consists of fried chicken and hash browns from Docks in Clarksville. That was Kane's favorite. Not once have I been invited. <laughs> I just show up. If I didn't show up, Ginger would be mad. These are times when people thought that they needed personal space, but what they needed more than anything was to know that people hadn't forgotten. Listen, you have to listen. Um, it, it, while you're listening is when you hear the heart, when you hear things that you can learn from. Scott told me once, we were, we were sitting out in a blind hunting, and um, he said, you know, I just wish people would recognize that there's not a single day you can remind me of Cain. They're afraid to say anything, he said, but there's not a day that goes by that I haven't thought of him. They like to hear his name. And... Full disclosure, I did get their permission to share with you today, so I'm not stepping out of line in any way here. Um, my prayer is still that they would be saved. This is, this is humbling to me that God has given me this opportunity. I want to just tell you, don't ever underestimate what God can do. And also... Don't underestimate what God can do with your time outside of work. I know this is all drawing back to in the workplace. I would not have known Ginger if it were not for the workplace. But I know Ginger today from the relationship and the time spent outside of work. Okay? It takes time and, and relationships are built. We see this in the local church as well, right? If you just show up on Sunday, you're, you're limited in your knowledge of other people because it's, it's a single event. But when we start when we start dwelling together outside of those boundaries, when we start spending time praying for one another, serving one another, 
spending time with one another, drinking coffee together, which is my favorite. (sighs) That's when those relationships are built. And don't ever estimate what God can do with, underestimate what God can do, do with you. Why would Bethany Moore, single, untouched by any family loss, be able to encourage and support a family working through the worst, the worst days of their life? God's grace. God alone. Don't fear a situation because you have no experience with it. By God's grace, Diana has attended youth group with me for several years. I've had the privilege of teaching her to drive, actually. Uh, Her parents were too freaked out by it, so. I've taught her how to drive. She has her license now. I work in the greenhouse every chance I get. I had never had exposure to planting flowers or loving mums. It's mum season, by the way. (laughs) Tons of mums purple fountain grass. I work in the greenhouse and and they let me take whatever flowers I want. I visit Kane's graveside with them. I prepare meals. Sometimes I pick up pizza after work. I've run errands during busy season, they call it, during uh, spring and fall when they're selling at the greenhouse. It's busy season. Ginger will give me a list of errands to run. I've enjoyed hunting with them. I've assisted butchering animals, venison, pork, beef, all of it. I've helped can, I've camped, I've fished. I've gone to Pheasants Forever. I've even road tripped with them. And I get to borrow the truck whenever I want. (laughs) I'm set. But let me just leave you with this thought that there is not a single one of those blessings that I would not give up to know that they were saved. And I pray all the time that God would keep me from growing distracted by temporary things and only ever love them, their eternal souls. Yes, I received many blessings. Yes, I've been able to encourage them. But the goal must be eternal in our focus. The gospel changes our expectation, right? It changes where our hope is at, and it changes our priorities. I like to sum it up with Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. that that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. My life is to be a living sacrifice as the gospel changes my expectations. I am to be completely consumed with Christ. Expecting trials, walking through them without fear that unbelievers may see the salvation is from God. The gospel is also to change my priorities. In humility, I I set my selfish, empty pursuits aside that I may serve others and in my testimony be an example of God's love to the world. The gospel gives us everything we need for life and godliness and it changes everything. For me to live is Christ at work, at home, at church, and everywhere in between. Let's pray. Lord, Deliver us from a fear 
of a life fully committed to you. Deliver us from our fear of being humble and serving one another. And God, I pray. I pray that Ginger, Scott, Diana, that they would come to know you as their Savior, that they would come to love you and see your goodness. Lord, you are mighty. You alone must receive glory from our life. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.